Hi everyone, this is Anne Doherty, co-founder and co-owner of Illum Advising and your host for Current and Energy podcast produced by Illum. Today I'm excited to welcome Illum Vice President Laura Schauer to talk about customer engagement and um, talk through some of the challenges and issues that our clients and many people engaged in the energy space are dealing with as it relates to engaging customers and the public in general. Um, if you're interested in hearing more about this or reading up on the topic, feel free to take a look at Laura's recent blog, Why the Future of Utilities is All About Adding Value to the Customer Experience. And this was published in collaboration with our friends at Salesforce. Welcome, Laura. Well, thanks so much, Anne. I'm really excited to be here and be able to chat with you about this. <laughs> I am so excited to chat with you about it as well. This is fun. It's like a way to catch up and we, you know, but with a purpose, which is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> that is awesome. <laughs> All right. Well, before we delve into this podcast, I want to introduce Laura to our listeners. So Laura is the vice president of Illum Advising and brings to Illum nearly 25 years of experience providing strategy, customer insights, and evaluation consulting to our clients um, within the energy industry. And that includes utilities, public service commissions, and nonprofit organizations. And that's not a complete list. To be clear, Laura supported a lot of folks in her time and in her work. Um, most recently, Laura has been focusing her efforts on the intersection of equitable services in emerging clean energy spaces, really with an eye towards um, customer engagement strategies and figuring out how to engage a broader base of customers. I will also say that Laura serves our industry as a member of the board of directors for the Association for Energy Services Professionals and for those that are in industry, AESP. And Laura, I'm just really excited to have you here. Yeah, and thanks for inviting me to this conversation. It's, it's a topic that has been really important to our clients as well as ourselves. And I love the fact that it's really kind of starting to profile even higher than it ever did before. It's, it's just really, it's really important right now. So I'm, I'm glad to be here. Yeah, I'm glad you are here. I'm glad, I'm like, grateful for your work. So as we jump in and you know, we have a lot of topics we want to cover, um, I was just really glad to see that this blog came out. And then folks who are listening to the podcast probably don't know this, but um, this blog that was um, put out uh, by um, the Salesforce team really comes off the heels of a customer experience white paper for Harvard Business Reviews Analytics Services in which you contributed to uh, that article. Can you tell us a little bit more about the effort overall and how you came to be involved? Yeah, I'd love to. So gosh, I can't believe it's almost been a year since they reached out to me, but uh, Harvard Business Review Analytics Services, they were collaborating with Salesforce, who was a sponsor for this article. Actually, it was a white paper they published, and it was published in February called Improving the Customer Experience in the Utility Industry. Um, and what they did was they spoke with a whole host of um, industry experts, partner organizations that Salesforce was partnering with, and um, Harvard Business Review Analytics Services went out and did broad surveys to all these utility executives um, across, actually within um, the UK and Canada and the US. So it wasn't just US focused as well. And that paper presented the findings from all that research. And there was a few things that came out that was really interesting and valuable. And the first was, I think it seems really like, oh, we should know this, we know this. But the first thing is how important this idea of customer experiences 
to utility executives. It's one of the top priorities that they're grappling with right now. And Illum, many years ago for AESP, so I'm glad you mentioned that. With my experience, we did research with um, all of AESP's members and customer experience customer engagement was one of the top things that came up even then. So it's just getting even more important right now as our industry is continuing to evolve. So just if I could just explain just a couple more spaces, I think that was background that I think was really important about this white paper. First is the fact that it was very digitally focused and they wanted to think through with us how is it that um, customer engagement is and customer experience is happening in a digital world, which is a really important question given that we're, we're really moving in that direction. We continue to move that direction. And I wanted to, when we were doing that white paper, bring up a couple of perspectives, which you'll see in there. And the first is, and we'll talk about a little bit today, I think, is around the importance of going beyond the utility data that we so often want to use to inform customer experience needs. So important, the data side, technology side, so important, but it's really important to continue to going beyond that. The other thing I really wanted to bring into the discussion related to, especially as we're thinking about equity issues, is when we're thinking about digital customer engagement, we have to think about who is engaging in that. And if we want to do a broad engagement, customer experience engagement platform, we have to think about who we are reaching in certain forms and who are not. And that's part of that understanding the customer's perspective that um, this white paper tried to delve into a lot as well. So it was a really neat experience. And from there, we we developed the blog, which is, as you noted, um, posted on Salesforce's website. So Laura, in your blog, you frame out four ways in which utilities are becoming more customer-centric as they add value to the customer experience. What are those ways? Sure. I'll, um, I will first, I'll, I'll name the four things and I'll go through them in just a little bit more detail. The first one is really understanding customer choice and expectation. And the second is using a breadth of research and analytics to understand your customer needs. The third was leveraging technology to add value to the customer experience. And the fourth was establishing a service provider frame of reference. And it's really the first two I think I'm going to hang on to, um, hold on to the longest for this discussion. And then we can go into more detail in the third and fourth um, if, we will, if you want, Anne, that'd be great too. But related to understanding the customer choice and expectation, you know, we're, as you know, and we see every day at this point, we're in a space right now where the choices customers have are broadening. And it's not just in areas that are deregulated. Like in the day, many years ago, we're like, well, retail and customer choice were very specific to deregulated markets. And we're now in a place where actually customers are having choice in their energy services um, across the entire country, where you know they can choose to choose solar if they want. They can choose to um, come off the grid with distributed energy resources in different ways. And our large customers, particularly, particularly those that are commercial and municipal customers, are really setting environmental and social governance policies with large portions of, for example, Fortune 100 companies setting clean energy goals for themselves. All this sets up a stage for the utilities to really be thinking about what are our customers need and where are their choices and how and where they're using energy. And as we think about the traditional model, that means that if the utility company as a standard is giving and selling the energy and that moves into another place, 
that's a huge loss for the utility company. And, and for those who are listening to this and are really ingrained into the utility industry, that this is kind of like a, yep, we know, we know this. This is one of the fearful things that we're dealing with right now. Um, the opportunity and where the utilities are sitting right now, which is so cool, is they're taking, taking a step back and they're starting to think through what do our customers really need? What is it that they're looking for? And they're trying to react to that and thinking through ways to establish working groups, establish boards, establish departments that are investigating this um, so specifically so that they can start reacting and responding to the customer's needs. And this is going beyond just the digital platforms that we've seen, you know, I have in my utility where they show me month over month, year over year, how my energy use is being is, and I think that's awesome. I love that. But it goes deeper than that. We can see that there's a lot of thought happening there. And before I move on to my next, I just want to break and see if you had any questions on that specific one. No, I think it's, um, I think you've covered a lot. I I want to hear more about your next point. So go ahead and jump in. Awesome. So the second point I highlighted in the blog was to use a breadth of research and understand to understand customer needs. This one I'm so passionate about. Um, I know I think I can safely say Loom is really passionate about this as an organization. And you know, it's because we love research and we love understanding deeply where what the research is telling us and thinking about how to do it. There's a quote in the Forbes article that I found impactful, and this is actually referenced within the blog itself that I just want to iterate again, which is companies that aren't customer centric tend to send messages that they think customers want without actually getting their input or feedback. This approach can lead to huge amounts of wasted resources on marketing and products that simply don't resonate with customers. And in this moment, I think this is really true. So um, as I think about my career, over the many years, one of the things I, I really reflect on is the fact that we've moved so much into a very survey-based mentality where we're trying to think through issues using survey-based research approaches, which, you know, it might be just, well, we're going to reach out to a general population of customers. We're going to just reach out to these commercial customers. We're going to hear what they have to say. And we hold on to that because there is a sense of statistical validity and scientific, that it's a scientific approach and what we find will be really valuable and good. But as we think back and we think to other industries, in particular, those that are like product-based, like say an Apple, they don't do that. They don't just send out a broad survey, develop a product, and then go to market with this product and just hope it lands. So there's a lot um, that we can be doing as an industry in order to make sure that we're really making sure the research is understanding the customer needs. And so what we're seeing utilities are starting to do, which is, again, really cool, and I'm personally so appreciative of it, is um, moving beyond, asking us to really move up beyond that that survey-based approach to dig deeper into the issues through much more ethnographic, um, qualitative focused approach. So maybe not something that represents a population, but something that is really representing the individuals who we're speaking with. And just as a really quick example of where I just, I found this really resonated in one of our studies. So Massachusetts, um, it's, if you go to our website, you can see the study in our library. They asked us to do a, um, a research study around investigating non-participants. And they wanted us to go much deeper into just 
well, who are the non-participants? They wanted us to truly try to understand some of the complexities around those who are not participating in energy efficiency programs. And so we did a very large scale survey, which is awesome. But then we also went and did um, intercept interviews by community organizations, within community organizations. And as our intercept interviews are standing there and they're talking to people, one individual came in and he was talking about the fact that you know, no, he doesn't know what this is. He doesn't know what these efficiency programs are. He doesn't understand, you know, how it would help him in his home. And behind him was this massive, like, floor sign that literally was saying exactly what this program was and how it could help households like his. He didn't resonate with that. He didn't even see it. And so to me, that was so that was so interesting for our team because it made us think about the fact that we're trying to investigate why people aren't participating. We need to even back it up further and say, why is it that things aren't resonating? What does it mean for something to be valid and valuable enough to our customers that they'll actually pay attention to it even before we get to this point of participation, which took us down a whole new journey space of thinking about research and research questions related to that. And so when we talk about, well, we need to go beyond just the um, research that we are used to, to really understand customer needs. This is an example of that. We would never have gotten something out of something like this out of a basic survey-based research approach. We have to be expanding how we're looking at research and thinking about on, you know, answering the questions that are at hand related to what we're trying to ask related to customer experience. It's so insightful. I do think that often we formulate ideas in our minds and we often don't even remember what the starting point of that was, right? What, how we arrived at that idea, where it came from, why mm -hmm. we feel it was valuable. But once they progress, they sort of take on a life of their own and we never stop to slow down and say, does this even make sense? And is this meaningful? Like, does it actually provide value to the people we hope to provide value to? And as you've mentioned, you know, sometimes it goes so far as going to market and watching it fail or using public money to subsidize its failure, you know, which is in itself like a whole other set of complicated problems and challenges. <laughs> but, um, and that wasn't meant to be a dig. It's more just that it, it's a reframing because, you know, we, as you've mentioned, and we've talked about before, we have an industry that's kind of built on being able to solve through mm -hmm. very concrete mechanisms, like, um, like engineering solutions, let's say with the very impressive electric grid that we have, but solving for human solutions is just such a different animal, it's a different beast entirely. Yeah. So, you know, kind of along those lines, in terms of that quantitative comfort that you referenced earlier, one of the ways that utilities understand customer satisfaction is through JD Power and net promoter scores. But that metric, as you know, because the Loom does so much research around this, can be really limited. So what are the advantages in your mind and the limitations of that type of data? Um, and how, how should our, our clients be thinking about it? Yeah, so I think JD Power JD Powers is a really valuable um, source for benchmarking and trend analysis. So, you know, for those of you listening that may not be as familiar with this, they ask a very similar set or the exact same set of questions. They ask it across different regions and they ask it across um, different years. And so as the utilities are reviewing this, they're using it and all, and it's just not utilities, all industries are using this as a really good 
benchmark around where do they sit in terms of how their customers perceive them. Um, and they tout it, you know, organizations, a hotel I just went into had this big sign, JD Powder, JD Powers, you know, at the whatever stars going across and 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 um and that's a sell point for them. Uh, we, as you mentioned, Ann, we did do research around this, and it was really interesting because we thought about it very much from the perspective of what does the utility do with this? Like, what are the customers understanding about the questions and what are the action items out of it? Because so often what happens is the utilities get this net promoter score, which is a combination score of a couple of different metrics, and they really hold on to that. And they're um, saying, well, this is how we're performing based on the net promoter score. But they don't necessarily stop and ask, what is it that customers are interpreting when they're answering the questions that inform that net promoter score? And that was something that we looked into through cognitive interviews with one of our projects. And it was so interesting because whereas the utility was perceiving a question one way, and probably the survey itself was, the customers themselves perceived it another way. So as a, just a really basic example, if I say to you the words billing versus pricing, do you know the difference between billing versus pricing? Well, one is used in the survey and customers perceive it as another. And what do they what do they mean about billing? Like, what is billing about to them? Is it about how much they're paying? Is it about options? What is it? And so there's definitely a disconnect in um, what customers are responding to when they're responding to that survey and what it necessarily means to them. So to be able to be actionable based on JD Powers is, can be challenging because we don't know what we're being actionable to. So that's just one thing. But the other thing I think that is so interesting is the fact that the satisfaction scores, and I will just say this for any study that looks at satisfaction scores and tries to figure out how that pertains to customer experience and engagement, it's so interrelated with so many different things that may not even be measured within that study. So as an example, again, um, to the study that we did for this client, you know, they saw the satisfaction, JD Power satisfaction scores rise and fall. And that only had so much to do with them. That also had to do with a weather event that just happened to take place that also left power off for so many of their customers. And so to what extent are we really measuring price satisfaction? To what extent are we really measuring communication satisfaction versus satisfaction or um, perceived satisfaction based on the fact that something happened that the utility had to respond to. So they are inextricably linked. Like there certainly is value in looking at this and saying, hey, satisfaction is dipping for this reason or that, um, or we can see satisfaction is dipping. I just think it's more complicated than just looking at the score itself. So to that end, I come back to your initial question and you know what's the value? Definitely, I think it's a, a great data point to look into from a benchmarking. You have several utilities or regions, you're trying to figure out, you know, where could they be doing something better than we're doing? That is a great way to look at it and, and be able to say, we can see that this big utility over here that's reported is, you know, higher marked on this area. Let's go see what they're doing. Um, and so that's a great way to use it. And the trend analysis is useful, but you have to be really careful in thinking about contextually where are customers sitting when they're responding to these surveys and um, not knee-jerk reacting, oh, this particular score went down, and so therefore we need to fix this. It's really deeper than that.
Such a um, good point because, I mean, you've said many things, but I think really helping folks understand who rely on JD Power that both what we're measuring may not be what customers are thinking, Mm -hmm. you know, they're responding to, which is really important to understand. But then to underscore another point, sometimes what we're measuring is not the thing itself, but a global set of um, challenges and perceptions that are, that may or may not be easily impacted by the thing you're measuring, like price, for example. Mm -hmm. And um, I think that's just important for people to realize as they're engaging with these scores. And it sort of suggests to me that the, you know, the real goal should be stepping back from your strategy, stepping back from JD Power and saying, you know, what do we want to achieve? What is the net impact we want to have? And then working against that and just making sure that you're not doing any harm to some extent in these <laughs> other areas. <laughs> because in reality, it's almost like customers are responding to how they feel about you globally, not necessarily how they feel about the specific indicator. Yeah, right. for sure. And you could be responding to something that you shouldn't be responding to. Maybe you're responding to something and taking something, changing something that the customers truly actually enjoy without really thinking about it. Mm-hmm. So it could really have adverse effects. Yeah. And, you know, um, I, as a consultant, you never really want to say this out loud, but <laughs> it's not it's not that expensive to have a couple conversations with people, both in terms of time or cost. So it is something that even utilities could do themselves with family members or other people to just get into a dialogue around some of these indicators, talk about what they mean and what mm-hmm. they don't mean, and just ground truth things um, so that you, you know what you're interpreting. Because I think often we don't really know what we're interpreting if we don't take that step to just listen. Yeah, absolutely. And I have to also say, it's great to hire us to do those things too, because we do a good job. <laughs> <laughs> I would, couldn't be an owner of the company if I didn't also say that. You really need to say that, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so um, Laura, what's not in the blog, but it's probably worth talking about given the moment that we're in, are um, some of the ways in which climate change has added just this next level of complexity to the way utilities serve customers or are expected to serve customers um, in this moment. Can you talk a little bit about um, the customer experience in light of all of these changes that we are experiencing and this volatility um, you know, as, as it relates to um, climate change, but probably also relates to other things like COVID-19 and some of these bigger challenges we're mm-hmm. facing societally. Gosh, I mean, that is just such a good question. That's a really hard question. And thanks for throwing that one over my way. <laughs> um, you know, if I'm thinking about this in the framework of customer experience, I guess my thinking is that um, the importance is really ascertaining their understanding of climate change and where it sits in their lives, the importance to them, um, what it means to them. And I think if, if we're pulling it up into this full customer experience umbrella, um, identifying how we link what the utilities are doing to the areas of importance to customers in climate change. So, you know, we've done a lot of research and asking questions to customers, commercial, residential, um, executives were thinking about, what does this mean to you? What does even the word climate change mean to you? What, what do all these terms mean to you? We ask that often because it's so interesting to hear. Um, there's a lot of divergent 
perspectives, um, as I think you very well know, you know, is it even real is a question <laughs> to some, which is crazy, crazy tone to me, but, um, but um, how they think about it and how they see the role of the utility in there um, is a really interesting thing for the utilities to explore. And I do believe there is such a foundational interest and um, real deep concern about what's happening with our world and with climate change. And I actually personally don't feel like utilities are doing a good job in tying where their efforts sit and where they're trying to help meet the customers where they're at with what they're trying to do and how that bridges across to climate change in general. So if we think about um, if we think about just basic energy efficiency programs, for example, and you look at the messaging there, it's incredibly technical. It's very, you know, hey, do this and you, you may improve the environment. Do you want to save money? Do you want to save money on bills? Great, do this. But our um, constituents, our customers, um, large and small, they're, they're really caring about a bigger picture more and more. And I think there's real value for the utility to try to draw that through line to the initiatives that they're doing and why they should be really carefully partnering with their customers, in particular, the larger ones, the governments and the cities and the larger customers to meet those needs of climate change. And so, so the question is, um, how has it added complexity to the ways that they serve the utility customer? I think it's really in what is it they should be talking about and messaging. Um, and I do want to recognize as we're thinking through this that, you know, this is a real tension within the utility business model. If I'm sitting in an executive seat and I'm thinking about the fact that uh, our finances are so reliant and our shareholder value is so reliant on um, how much money we're bringing in to the company through sales within these customers. This is kind of a scary space for me right now, um, unless we're really looking and progressing forward around where is it that we go with the customer experiences to keep them engaged, to retain them, to attract them into our um, service territory. So I, I know, I think that feels like a really vague answer, Anne, and I apologize for if it's way too vague, but I just think we're at the very tip of an iceberg of complexities facing utilities related to this issue. And um, it's just kind of illustrative of, I can only imagine how challenging it is for them right now to, to you know, thread that needle. Yeah, I think it just speaks to the sort of nebulousness of it in the sense that it's really difficult to, to figure out where to anchor your strategy with respect to these changes. And also mm -hmm. in a very complicated social moment as well, yeah. where, you know, something as important as um, climate change, as it relates to the realities of utilities and the realities of communities impacted mm -hmm. is also really something that is um, deeply partisan at this moment for, you know, unfortunately, and, you know, could get you into some, hot water, you know, communicating around, but it's, um, but I think you're right. And I do want to underscore one of the things that you called out, which was just the sort of thinking about communities and community engagement. You sort of touched on it, but the, um, you know, one of the things that I think personally, like utilities are going to be challenged with as they mm -hmm. move forward in service is figuring out who to work with and really leaning into those partnerships and those community partnerships, because I think we all know that 
climate change and its impacts are going to be felt locally, you know, and in these hyper-localized ways based on where you are um, it, relative to a storm front or where you are relative to an outage. And so having that resiliency in communities might be a valuable way of being resilient in experience and engagement too. Yeah, and I would expand on that too, beyond just like within the communities, but I think it's going to be, it will be so much more important. It is so important right now to be engaging the communities in the dialogue mm -hmm. as part of it, because um, there's so much that we don't know within communities and we don't understand. You mentioned very earlier in, in, as we were talking about, well, we kind of have to let go of our preconceived notions. And I think you know, when we go into these issues, assuming we know what these communities need and what their constituents need, that's where we were at a miss. And bringing them into the conversation, I think, is going to be so important as we are trying to shape this, um, shape the messaging to these customers and trying to propel us forward in a more, you know, clean and, and equitable environment. And um, I don't, we don't know how that looks for different people. And we need mm -hmm. to make sure that we're paying attention to that. That's such a good point. And it actually relates to my next question for you, which is really kind of talking about the topic of equity. And we, we touched on mm -hmm. it earlier. Um, and you've talked about this a lot and have been called to, to talk on this is just the importance of uh, equity in general, and also the importance of utilities having a better understanding of the diversity of the groups that they serve. You know, I think um, we don't need to say this to utilities, but it's worth saying for people who don't understand the market as well, you know, utilities are required to serve everybody and not every product and service company sets itself up to serve all people mm -hmm. and it creates unique challenges. So how should utilities and program administrators really meet this moment when it comes to equity and where do you see there being opportunities for our industry to do better in um, the service of our communities? So I think understanding the data, understanding who you've actually really served is a first really important point. We have assumptions around who we're serving, but taking the actual data, and we have a lot of data, the utilities and um, program administrators have a lot of data out there that they can just really crunch and overlay with whether it be census data or experience data or whatever we have to really have a good handle on um, a baseline of who they've served already and how that differs from the population. And it's eye-opening. I don't think it'll be news to anyone, um, but at least having that data and those analytics gives a really important starting point so you know where you're going to go to. So um, that to me is the first step that needs to take place as part of this initiative. Second is really getting a handle on what are your objectives and goals. So we have a lot, there are a lot of initiatives out there at the state level, and there's many within states happening independently. Sometimes it's within um, specific utilities, sometimes it's within specific counties. And so um, really coming together as a state or an area, whatever it may be, and thinking very strategically about where are we trying to go with this? What is our objective? What do we want to do? In Massachusetts, what they were told is that they need to figure out first, number one, just figure out who is it that they're not serving and to what extent and what are the barriers to service those um, 
to those populations. It didn't say these are the populations we know. It says we want to really understand specifically the barriers. And so that was the first step. That's like a three-year process. We're still working through that. You know, we did, as I mentioned earlier, that non-participant study, and now we're digging deeper into um, linguistically isolated customers, which is a whole different group than even just uh, limited English proficiency customers. It's those that are truly not able to speak English and truly isolated. And so they're trying to really dig deeper into these pockets of populations without assuming that they're within one broad group called, you know, low income or one broad group called renters, which is traditionally how we think about it. And so um, the second thing, in addition to the data and is taking the time to really think about our goals, what are we trying to achieve? And then um, really investigating what are the barriers to achieving those goals? And what do we need to do to figure that out? And what do we need to keep doing to figure that out? The third, which we already hit on, really is that community engagement that we just talked about. I think that's so critical for getting into um, understanding how to equitably serve customers. Sometimes what happens, and we see this, we saw this in another state, was, was they tried to do something within a community and the community said, wait, 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 we didn't ask for this. Why are you coming in here and just solving our problems that we don't think is a problem? So there's a huge community buy-in piece there, as well as understanding what the true needs are that I think are really important. That takes time and it takes money. I, I hate to say it. I, I was talking to someone, presentation I was giving in another state and they're like, wow, Laura, that sounds really expensive. I'm like, yep, that is expensive. And if we're going to actually do this well, we have to realize that we need to invest. We really need to be investing to do it. So, mm -hmm. so yeah, that, that is, those are the big things that I um, am seeing our, our states and the utilities that are really driving forward in this to really try to understand the customers that they're really um, starting to do. They're being very intentional and thoughtful mm -hmm. around it. I only have one more comment, Anne, on this one related to getting an understanding of, you know, who we're not serving and how to do it better. And that is, we're not going to be perfect from the beginning. I think we really are so anxious to get this right and to do it well and to do it fast because it is so important. But I think we have to realize that there's there are places that we need to take our number one, take our time, but also allow us to pilot it and fail and learn from it and adjust. And if it means adjusting the language and legislation, if it means adjusting the language of our values and our objectives within these working groups, I actually think that's okay because that means we're learning from what we're doing. So that's so um, that's such an important point. And as you're you know talking about that, Laura, I you know, you think about just like our company, for example, and we get paid and it is our full-time job sometimes to stand up these stakeholder processes and engage with them. But for most of the people engaged on the other side, this is something that they're doing in their spare time, yeah. you know, that they're volunteering to provide. There are certainly environments where you have paid stakeholders and paid interveners or intervening groups or participatory yeah. groups, but you also have passionate community members and you have heads of local organizations who are doing some nights and evenings, weekends, you know, or displacing their normal work mm -hmm. so that they can show up. And it's almost like we need to move at the speed of community versus like the mm -hmm. speed of business. And I think it's just a different pace and it takes a different 
amount of time, you know, to do that. We once recently ran a stakeholder process that I think was very effective, but we did it quickly. And the toll it took on our stakeholders was also clear too. And that was one of our big learnings coming out of it was that it was a heavy lift, certainly, but it was a, it was a lot for them too. And they were happy to be involved, but really probably needed a couple more months just to take the pressure off the amount of involvement that um, was asked of them, you know? Yeah, it's a really good point. We saw that in New York too. And I will just say, I have so much respect for those people who are giving their time volunteering and being faced with making really important decisions, like definitional decisions, decisions that things are going to be designed around and they're giving that time just through their passion and, um, you know, what the, the outcomes that they want to come out of this. So I agree with you so much. One of the questions that we've been asked is, you know, how is it that we should establish these stakeholder groups? Should they be paid? How is it that they should be paid? What is the timeline that we should, that's reasonable in order to move this forward? Um, I think, you know, a lot of these, most states are really at the early stages of this. And it's uh, a really good question for them to consider in a really excellent point you raised, because I think it's really, it's important that we're giving the space and time for these stakeholders to do their job. Yeah. Well, Laura, I think that's all of the questions I have for you today. It's been really awesome to talk. And I am already thinking about the folks I want to send this podcast to because these questions and the topics we're covering are on top of everybody's mind. And um, I think you gave us so much that felt really generative and started us, at least me, on a thinking path, which uh, I think many of us are looking for right now. It's just sort of a place to start. So thank you. I really appreciate you joining. Well, thanks, Anne. I, I really appreciate being here. Thank you so much. Yeah. And thank you to um, our listeners for joining. Um, this month, Current celebrates a milestone of having over 3,500 podcast listens. And we owe that success to those of you who are following our content. So thanks for listening. It's kind of funny to see that number because just before we started recording, um, Laura and I were talking about performance anxiety as it relates to (laughs) being recorded. And um, that number is both awesome and might contribute to that anxiety. Thank you very much, listeners. If you have an idea, I am truly grateful, really. Um, If you have an idea for any episodes, please send us a note at info at illumadvising.com. Current is created by Illum's production team. The music is by Blue Dot Sessions. Um, Thanks and see you next time.